Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. Lieutenant Joe Pangaro here. You know, there's a lot of things we can talk about, and we will talk about some politics today because there are some things that are going on that we should be prepared for. We should get ourselves mentally ready and, and prepared for the, for the days and weeks and months ahead as our country tries to find its way back from wherever the hell it is we are now. This is not the classic America. Uh, watching some uh, NFL action recently, talking with my, uh, my beloved father-in-law, Ted, uh, and whatever it was, there's something came on the news, you know, a news in between the in between the games or halftime or whatever. And Ted says, "This isn't America anymore. This isn't this isn't the country I was born into and grew up in and worked hard for." And I found you know that interesting conversation because I think a lot of people are having that conversation. This is not the America that most of us grew up with. Now we're aging out. Admit it. We're all aging out. Uh, I'm 60. If I'm, if I'm very, very, very lucky, I got 20 more years on this planet before I get called home. And then I have to deal with that when I get there. You know, holy moly. But the reality is, if I'm very lucky, I got those. And then I'm gone. I'm out. I'm a memory. I'm a picture on the wall that, you know, people take down, throw in a box or throw away. And you move on. And the, the Rolodex of time just keeps clicking away. And that happens to all of us. We're all on that road. So right now... You know, I guess they say, uh, you know, the most powerful people are uh, financially, you know, they look to 18 to 54-year-olds because they spend all the money. Well, they don't come to my house and see what I end up having to spend around here all the time. But the bottom line is that, you know, this is this is at your, your greatest uh, place of influence. You're at your greatest financial area. It's really supposed to be the height of where you are. You're enjoying uh, your country, all your hard work and what you've done. And I can't say that I'm not... But at the same time, I, I certainly am sad for our country. I'm sad that we have such arguments between each other. I'm sad that family members still are not talking to each other. Strangest thing, we, we sent out Christmas cards, right? And we sent them out to uh, one of my cousins who, growing up, I, I idolized this guy. He was really smart, and I thought he was just a, a great guy. And we got along great, even as younger people. Uh, I guess he's got to be 68, right? I'm 60. So even when I was a kid... He was in college, I remember that, and I would go over there, and we would go to the beach and hang out at the beach for the day. It, it was very cool to hang out with this guy. I really liked him. As we got older and we had families, uh, we connected really well. Uh, my kids connected with him and his family, and it was wonderful. And then along comes one of the first big real schisms in our country that we can point to. And I know many of you out there could point to the same kind of a schism. There was this guy that came along, and his name was Trump. And Donald Trump, while he had always been a fixture in American uh, pop culture, because he was in the background, billionaire, playboy billionaire, uh, marrying beautiful women, divorcing beautiful women, big businesses, all that kind of stuff. Now he was going to be a politician. And when he first came out, I think a lot of people said, oh, Donald Trump. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he, he'll be a big mouth. He'll go after them. It wasn't until he started talking. And when you heard what he was talking about, it was very conservative. And for those of us who have a conservative bent, uh, we know that we've been abandoned by those who call themselves conservatives. They're not really conservatives. They're really liberals wearing a different color coat 
and they're trying to pretend that they're conservative, but they really want to go to the parties and they want to have good articles written about them and they want to have, you know, nice benefits for being in the Congress and in the Senate and the House. They don't really want to, you know, get down and dirty and do the business of the people because, uh, you know, first of all, maybe in the very beginning when they go there, they might have that fire to do it. But then when they get there, you start to realize, hey, this is a pretty good lifestyle. I don't want to screw this up. What do I need to do? You need to keep your mouth shut, vote on the bills we tell you to vote for, and we'll make sure you got plenty of money to run for re-election and you get to keep this lifestyle. Well, that's a, that's a pretty compelling thing, I think, for a lot of people. And I don't think that's something to be, to be taken lightly, which is all the more reason uh, we, the people, should demand uh, term limits. Term limits, three terms in the House, two terms and max in the Senate. And that's it. Uh, you know, maybe change those years to 10 years for the Senate. They only get a five year. Now, if that's constitutional, we can't change it. But only two, two, two terms. That's it. The president only gets two terms. That's eight years. Right? And why do we do that? Because to put that much power in somebody's hands for too long a period of time can be very, very dangerous and a problem for the country. So we limited the president's terms. Well, we got to do the same thing for the Congress people. You shouldn't go there for your whole life. It's not a lifestyle you get voted into and get to keep. You got to go there and do the work. Now, at the same time, I'm going to blame most of us because we're stupid enough to vote for the same people over and over and over and over and over again. Because what other choice do we got? Well, when there's a primary and you got somebody else besides your weak Republican running, you should vote for that person. What's the worst they could be? Worse than the person who was in there doing nothing for you anyway, right? So this is where we got to smarten up. Uh, you got some of these rhinos that are not doing what they say they're going to do. Next time they're around, primary them and get rid of them. That's the one way to get rid of them, right? Voting. We have the power. We just don't use it. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, I, I'm getting diverted from my thought. So along comes this Trump, and he is going to, uh, he's saying all the things that we want to hear, and he's willing to fight. He is calling these people out, left and right, left and right. He's not. He's, he takes a punch and he counterpunches, as opposed to taking a punch and then cowering in the corner and going, oh, did I say the wrong thing? Should I have not said that? Did I ruin my chances for the, for the parties? And it, No, he just swung back. And that's why people liked him so much. Well, we're seeing right now that um, McCarthy is, is trying really hard to become the Speaker of the House. And he seems like a decent enough guy, but I know a lot of conservative people don't trust him. We think he's just going to be another one of these go-along, get-along guys that's going to do nothing but string us out for two years. We'll lose the House again, and then we'll get uh, you know the Nancy Pelosi-like uh, uh, person back in there. And the Democrats will kick our butts because they don't take names. They don't fool around. They use power. They abuse power. And they're not afraid to do it. Because you know what? They got the press on their side. No matter what they do, they're going to get good press. They're going to go to the parties. They're going to be the best. So we, we have a lot to look at here going forward. You know, what, what is it or, or what are we actually going to do? What, what happens uh, with this power and how things are going to be? So I know um, the whole idea was that when Trump came along, see, I always circle back. I do circle back. I'm like, circle back, Jen, Jotsi, right? I, I circle back. A lot of us, when Trump came out, were moved by the idea of someone who would fight, and therefore we voted for him, and he won. He won the presidency. He beat Hillary, who was a horrible person and a horrible politician, would have done terrible things. So I'm glad she didn't get it. That was a, that was. If anything, Donald Trump did. That was the saving grace that he gave our country. 
Uh, no matter what else you like his policies or don't, he saved us from Hillary, which would have been, oh, how annoying that would have been. But anyway, I lost this cousin that I really cared about. I really, I, I lost this guy. We, we were having a conversation because we talked, you know, every couple of months we would uh, text and email and then we would have a phone conversation. And, you know, we were, we were people making social media comments. Hey, this looks like this guy could be good. Who knows who he could win. And he got on there and he lambasted me about, we can't have a racist like him as president. We can't have somebody who hates people. We can't have someone who's going to drive the economy into the ground. He's really just... And I said, I was shocked. I was shocked by the, by the response. Because this is a really smart guy. And I'm saying, okay, well, how do you... Can't you see through the nonsense media stories? Can't you see how, they're, how they, every single time... Then an election comes around. Uh, the Republicans are racist, horrible people who want to want to enslave people and want to take away and starve grandparents and make them eat dog food. Don't we hear that every single election cycle? And then when the Republicans get elected, none of that happens. None of that stuff happens. Things usually get better when the Republicans are around. The economy picks up. People feel better about their country. The military gets stronger. We're respected more around the world. That's usually what happens when Republicans get elected. They don't enslave people and go back in time. So this is this is the opinion that this cousin had. And, you know, I, I kind of took it, okay, I guess, I don't know, maybe he's, I don't know what he's all about, but it sounds weird. And then finally we had a phone conversation. And basically... He lost his mind in the phone conversation. I mean, literally, like you see those liberals on TV when they lose their minds and they're spitting and their eyes are going around in their head and they can't even think. This is what he was doing on the phone as though this was going to bring us back, you know, to to a, a time when when it was horrifyingly there was there was, uh, you know, slavery and there was going to be uh, people were going to be beaten and put in camps. I mean, these are the words he used. It, it was shocking to me that an intelligent guy couldn't see through that. And the reality was we hung up that phone conversation and we really haven't spoken in three years now. We really haven't spoken in three years. But we did send out Christmas cards and we, of course we sent one to his family because I'm, I'm, I'm not freaking out that he's a, a left-wing liberal who believes all this stuff. He's my cousin. And if we could have a real conversation, I would try and talk to him and say, hey, let's why don't we discuss our points of view and why we think what we think and maybe we can learn something from each other but i find it's really really hard to have a conversation with people on the left because they're not interested in another point of view they're only interested in their point of view uh now i like my point of view uh I, but I, I come to my point of view by thinking through things is there truth to what i think is there truth to what i heard is there truth to what i believe yes or no and i compare it to the real world and if if there's not if i'm wrong I adjust my point of view to face reality and to see how things really are and maybe change a thought on something. And, and I've discussed those changes here throughout the course of my life uh, as, as we've been together here on Chasing Justice. So I, I see this, um, this time and I'm hoping that now that time has kind of gone by and I think our friends on the left, they got their wishes. They got Joe Biden. They had uh, the Senate and the, and the House for two years. They had every policy they wanted. They spent seven, eight trillion dollars. They opened the borders wide open, no restrictions. Uh, no matter what, they did everything that they they really would have wanted to do. Other than you know, actually, uh, well, they controlled you for a couple of years. They wouldn't let you open your business. They wouldn't let you leave your house. They did make make you wear masks. 
Uh, they did censor points of view. Basically, everything that they would do if they had complete control. They did it. They had complete control, and we saw what they did. So my point being is uh, we sent a Christmas card to my cousin and his family, and we got a text message today. Uh, my, my wife, Miss Kathy, got a text message and said, hey, we got the card. Merry Christmas. Hope you guys are all good. You know, how's this, that, and the other thing? Now, that's very hopeful. I think that's wonderful because that's the first, because I'll be honest with you, I haven't reached out after that. After the second or third time to be completely rebuked as though I'm some kind of horrible human being instead of talking to me about how the world, in my mind, should be fair, honest for everybody, just for everybody, rule of law for everybody, constitutional rights for everybody, Uh, you know, medical practice based on what the doctors say, not what the experts say. Right? I would love to have had that conversation with him. Uh, but it was, it was hopeful. We got this this call, you know, there's text message. And Kathy says, so what do you think that's all about? I said, I don't know. And of course, I gave it a little thought because that's what you got to do. You got to think about things before you just run off at the mouth. So as I'm thinking about it, what comes to mind is is this. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe since he did have two years of, of everything that he thought would be fantastic for America, everything that got rid of Republican this, that, and the other thing, uh, now it was all socialist, uh, you know, progressive policies and this and that. They got everything they wanted, and that's what he wanted, and they got it, and now, two and something years later down the road, we can see the results of that. We see the results of going that way. Now, I remember when Trump took over, we saw the results after four years, right? We were energy independent, we were, uh, we were making people around the, in the world who we were paying for their defense, making pay for their own defense. We were strong, our military strongest in, in the world in the history of ever. Our economy was booming. Everybody that wanted to work was working. People were making money. Housing was excellent. Things were really good. You could say they weren't, but you'd be lying to yourself. They were really good. And that's what happened when the Republican took over. So now he's had an opportunity for two-something years for, a, for the Democrats to run everything with their policies, with their policies, right? And he sees the result. Uh, unemployment. Unemployment is so low. That's because so many people are not in the, in the market. People don't understand that. The, the unemployment rate is not based on uh, everybody having work except for 3.5%, 3.5%. That's not what it means. It means of the people who are actually looking for work, Right? there's 3.5% unemployment. When you have millions of people who are not looking, they're not counted as being unemployed, even though they are. That's why the numbers are, are can be tweaked and fooled around. We have the lowest unemployment rate ever. I made 500 million jobs. Well, when, when you lost millions of jobs in the pandemic, and then some of them start to come back, you didn't actually create those jobs. You just let people go back to work. See, there's a big difference in how we look at things and what we say. And people don't always understand that. And maybe they don't get it. Maybe they, maybe they refuse to get it. So my, my thought is, my theory for my beloved cousin is that maybe now two years living under the policies that he espoused so strongly, uh, maybe, maybe he's noticing that, uh, gee, uh, it doesn't really work out that well when we do this. Maybe there's some flaws in the thinking. Maybe there's something to capitalism. Maybe we do have to adjust a little bit uh, in some things, but maybe not 
throw the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe not go full-on socialist, because obviously it don't really work, right? Now, I got to say, my cousin uh, is, like I said, he's a brilliant guy. He, uh, he had a, a, a government job uh, for many years doing uh, computer programming and computer uh, diagnostics. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. But he didn't make a fortune. And I know, I remember when he called me up complaining that Trump was going to destroy the country, that uh, one of the things, he wouldn't be able to eat. He wouldn't be able to do things. We were going to go to war, just like Ronald Reagan. Oh, right, Reagan's going to get us all killed, right? It never works out the way they say. It's always the opposite of what they say, of what they fear monger about. But anyway, I'm I'm getting caught up in this emotionally, and I don't want to be emotional about it. I'm thinking maybe that's really what it is, is that he's had two years to live with what he asked for. Be careful what you ask for. You might get it, and I think he got it. And I think he's starting to see, eh, gee, uh, things really aren't better uh, under our way. People are at each other's throats. Uh, crime is out of control. Uh, the inflation is horrifying. We can't afford anything, right? Maybe, just maybe, that's what it is. And I'm hoping that this brings him back to his senses, like I hope it brings a lot of people back to their senses. I'm always willing to listen to somebody else's point of view and decipher if there's anything to it and should I change my my direction of thinking or whatever. I'm always willing to do that because I'd rather be um, correct than just win the argument, right? So that's that's kind of what's been going on, and I, I find it um, interesting uh, as this is going to play out in the future. I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond back again um, in a hopeful way because I'm a hopeful kind of guy, and I really do want to bring people together. So I just I just thought that would be interesting. Now along that line, I guess I guess what you'd be talking about is you know, a leadership leadership. Now, well, let's how are we going to connect these together? Well, by taking a stance and and holding your stance firm and stating your stance and doing the right thing, that's that's part of a leadership quality, right? And and then responding appropriately and trying to mend a fence, that's a leadership quality, right? That's one of the things we talk about. Well, when I teach on leadership and supervision and mentoring, because the, th- the three things are all really connected uh, for a good leader, uh, and we've talked here in the past about some some great leaders, uh, you know, Colonel Chamberlain and Captain Brooks in Vietnam. We talked about their stories and what they did. But there's there's three different self fulfilling prophecies out there that we should all be aware of. And these three different self fulfilling prophecies come back to the things we tell ourselves every single day. So one of the things that we know from our psychologist friends is that if you think negatively, if you think on the negative side of things all the time, then you're probably going to end up with a negative outcome, right? So if you go, I'm never going to get this job. I'm always going to live in this house. I'm never going to have a good car. I'm never going to make my chances better. Everybody's against me, right? If you think like that, then that's probably how you're going to live your life that because that's what's that's what guides you when you make decisions it's what informs you when you think about things this is why again i don't want to bring it back to politics but i think this is the difference in the two real ideologies is that um, conservatism looks at the individual as a person who can do anything and sur- and survive anything and then thrive and go forward on their own, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, if you work really hard and you try really hard, you can make yourself better. You can make your life better. 
Now, we can't all be Donald Trump's or, or uh, you know, Amazon uh, Bezos kind of guy, but we can all make our lives better. And that's a conservative kind of a thought where our friends on the left are, are, are progressives. They tell you it's too hard. It's too hard for you to do. You can't. The world is stacked against you no matter how you. Tr- it's not even worth trying. Because you're just going to get ripped off by the man. You're going to get ripped off by the by the the the, re, the, the rich, the elites, uh, those people. They have it, and you don't have it. And there's only so much, and they take it all. And when you when you start to think like that, and you start to buy into that, that's how you'll see the world, and that's how you see how that can change what you do as a person. What am I going to do? I, I need, I'm one of these unemployed people that got all this uh, pandemic money and I like sitting on my butt doing nothing now because, you know, hey, I got enough to live and I've gotten used to this and hey, I don't have to go to work like I used to. Okay. For some people, I'm sure that's okay. But can you raise a family like that? Can you make a better life for yourself? Can you chase the American dream if you think like that? You cannot. It's impossible. So when I look at this and I say, you know, what are our leaders, what are they telling us? How are they leading to change the way we see things? And again, listen to the messages that come out of our politicians and what they have to say. So there's, there's these three self-fulfilling prophecies that we'll talk about. Now, when I, when I teach this, it's, it's because to be better, to understand who you are as a human being, what are your core beliefs? You know, if I was to ask you that and say, hey, what are your core beliefs? Everybody raises their hand when I ask that question. Do you have core beliefs? They all raise their hand and say, what are your core beliefs? And then they all kind of look at each other. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I can't say what they are, but I know I have them. Well, we all do have core beliefs. These are the things that we, we cling to, the things that we make decisions based on, whether we sit and, and articulate them write them down and say, well, I believe this is my core belief. I think, uh, you know, the world is like this. Whether we do that or whether we just live them because we've learned them over the course of our lifetime, and this is why messaging that comes to us from other people and from ourselves in our own head has so much power over us. So the first first effect we're going to talk about is a self-fulfilling prophecy, and it's called the Pygmalion Effect. Now, where have you heard that word, Pygmalion? Where have we heard that word before? Well, there was a movie in the 1960s, the Pygmalion, uh, uh, the Pygmalion is what it was called. And the idea behind the Pygmalion was that there was these two guys, and I think they were in the United Kingdom, um, and they had a bet. They were trying to decide, they were talking sociological kind of things. And they said, hey, I think we could take a street girl, a girl who's, you know, underclass, lower class, lower socioeconomic world, And if we give her different expectations, if we treat her differently, uh, this, that, and the other thing, we can turn her into a princess. And the two guys had a bet. One guy said it couldn't happen. The other guy said, I think it could. Right? So is it nurture or nature? You know, this is where all these things come from. This is where, this is why all this stuff is important because we all can respond in different ways. So throughout the course of the movie, what we saw was where the young lady that they chose, she she couldn't fit into fine society. She was not like that. She was from the street, and she thought she couldn't do it. She was told she couldn't be it. She told herself, that's not who I am. I'm lower class. I'm poor. I'm this, that, and the other thing. Well, the, the guy who had the bet that said he could change her, he tried to change her thoughts. He gave her different messaging. He told her, yes, she could do anything 
if she put her mind to it. Yes, she could be just as fine as anyone else on the planet. She could learn how to behave in those situations. She could learn how to think differently about herself and expect more things from herself and those around her. And that's exactly what they were trying to do uh, in the course of this movie. So by the end of the movie, it was very clear that uh, this young lady had turned into a princess. And it was because she had very high expectations put on her and she put high expectations on herself that she could do these things. And therefore she transformed herself, uh, you know, like the classic butterfly into a princess. Well, now she wasn't actually royalty, but she certainly could fit into any kind of that society because she was just as good as everybody else. And she started to believe that. And that is what transformed her. And that is what I'm saying. Messaging coming from leadership, whether it's government leadership, family leadership, church leadership, if people are telling you you can be more, you can do more, you can be better, you can change your, your, your direction, then you can, right? And that's the Pygmalion effect. So think about that in your life. You know, people in your life, are you trying to help somebody, a, a child, a, a spouse, a friend, are you trying to help them change their life? to see the world differently, to, to help themselves. Well, you want to put high expectations on them and let them know that you think they can do anything. So that's the Pygmalion effect. The next effect, which is also a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, is called the Golam effect, G-O-L-A-M, the Golam effect. This is where when you put low expectations on people, when you give them messaging of low expectations that they can't do something or they give themselves that. And lots of people do that. A lot of people suffer from the Golam effect all on their own because they've learned over the years to, to listen to these little quiet messages that they're not good enough. I can't do that. I, I don't have the money. The man is out to get me. They're putting me down. There's always someone who's going to step in and ruin my chances. And that's, that's the, the effect of the Golam effect. And what do we do there when we get low expectations, either put on ourselves or we listen to messaging from others? What happens is we will achieve very low things. We will not be able to improve. We cannot get ourselves out of a bad situation. We will flounder. We will be depressed. You will be down. You can never get to that next level because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Again, it's messaging. What messaging are you telling yourself what messaging are you listening to from other people? And the third and final effect that I want to talk about here is called the Galatia effect. The Galatia effect is not so much what people uh, are, are telling us, outside influences are telling us. It's what we're telling ourselves on the inside. Right? So the Galatia effect means if you and I have high expectations of ourselves, if we think we can really be better, because we want to be better. We're willing to try. We're willing to work hard. And except you got to accept uh, things that don't always go your way because it doesn't always go your way. But the, the greatest people in our society have, forever that have achieved have failed multiple times. But you know the difference? They got up and kept going because they believed in themselves. And that is the Galatia effect. If you believe in yourself that no matter how hard you get beat up, uh, no matter how much the man is against you or how much other people have things and you don't, if you try really hard, you too can succeed. And all of these things are self-fulfilling prophecies that help us all to be better. So I want you to all think about that. The Pygmalion, the Golam, and the Galatia effect. How do they affect you? And what messaging do you take from the world around you? We'll be back in a minute. This is Lieutenant Joe.
While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation, that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com, where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. All right, then. Welcome back. Glad to have you. Lieutenant Joe here, spending time with everybody. So our first our first uh, segment, we talked about the various kind of leadership styles and, and, and leadership in the world. And, and, you know, it was really just to kind of put our heads in the right spot as we're going forward about messaging. One of the things that we see with McCarthy, who wants to be the Republican leader, who wants to be the Speaker of the House, a very powerful position, but apparently he was considered a shoe-in, right? He was going to be the guy easily jumped in on there, but apparently now there's there's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of conservatives that are saying, well, um, are we sure we want this guy? Are we sure we want this guy to be uh, the leader? Is he just another rhino? Or can we get somebody different? Well, there was some groups I saw, and they were they were pushing for different things they want. You know, they want some some assurances from him how he's going to behave as the speaker. Is he going to be like Nancy Pelosi and control everything? Because basically, uh, Congress people that wanted to put together a bill and push it out, Nancy Pelosi said, "Oh no, no, everything comes to me. I'll decide what bills go out and how they go out." And that's not what we really want from our representatives. We want them to represent us. And if enough of us get to enough of them and say, we want this, then we want you to make a bill about it, right? Because you represent us. It's a representative government. It's not the elites deciding, hey, we're here, we stay here forever because people are so stupid they vote for us over and over. We get to run the country. No, we the people, 
get to run the country. You get to represent us and and follow what we're telling you to do. That's really how it should be anyway. So um, Mr. McCarthy, like I said, doesn't seem like a bad guy. I just uh, I'm I'm uh, I guess I'm gun shy of all these these Republicans that, you know, Jim Jordan, I think you could count on Jim Jordan. I think you could. Um, he looks like the kind of guy, just from what he said and done, that, that he's actually going to do what he says he's going to do, but he's not up for speaker. So one of the things McCarthy came out with and said, he's, he agrees that he is going to have a rule, uh, if he is the speaker, where anytime five members uh, of the majority party decide that they want to have a vote, a no-confidence vote on the speaker, he will allow that vote to go to the floor, which means yeah, that's a pretty good safeguard. I mean, five out of 200 and something people, uh, a lot of them conservative. There's a lot of conservatives, you know, probably uh, who say they're conservative and really try to be conservative. Maybe 90 of them, 140 of them, maybe that many. I don't know. Most of them are rhinos. But the reality is there's a m- way more than five. And if this guy starts to skirt to the left and says, uh, you know, five of us get together, no confidence in this guy. We want you to go. He will bring it to the floor. Now, can he change his mind and change that rule? Of course he can once he's in there, right? That's what people do. They change the rules once they get somewhere. But he he, he put that out there, that anytime five of them decide a, a no confidence vote is good, they would do that. And he will also let them uh, bring bills to the floor. Uh, they get together and want a bill, they, will, they can push it out for a vote, which again, that's a very, very positive thing. So I hope to see some strength from people. I hope to see some strength from people. Who else are we seeing out in the world being very strong? And this, the more time that goes on here in Ukraine, the more this is morphing into something different than just the poor Ukrainians are being, uh, you know, overrun by the evil Russians. You know, well, the reality is until this happened, Ukraine and Zelensky. Zelensky seems like a very, very strong leader. I mean, he seems to be doing really a great job. He's he's standing up for his people. He's fighting the Russian army and to some extent winning. I mean, this is going on for months and months and months now, and they, they haven't been wiped out. Uh, he, so he seems strong. He's saying the right things. But prior to this war, uh, Ukraine was considered one of the most corrupt countries on the face of the earth. You know, they were all locked up in with the Bidens. Uh, they were involved in all kinds of things going on. You know, the the, the money, uh, Burisma and all this nonsense. Well, what I think the American people uh, fallen for, and I say that in the right way. I don't mean like they're stupid. What we fall for in America is we believe in the underdog. We don't like when things are not just. And when we think of the Russians, you always think of the Russians, right, as a superpower and here they were picking on this tiny little Ukraine, and they were going to wipe it out. They've gone in and they've mass murdered people. They've blown up hospitals, pregnancy centers. I mean, that's about as evil as you can possibly get. And this is what Putin is doing. So it's pretty horrible. And when Americans see that, I know this American sees that, I say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, no matter what we think about them, what's happening right now is very, very bad, and it's not a good idea to let it continue. Because if the Russians do this to Ukraine, what's next? When they take the next little Soviet satellite that used to be in their orbit, and what happens when then they decide to roll over a part of Poland? Haven't we, haven't we seen this movie before? 
Haven't we watched this movie before, ladies and gentlemen? When you allow evil to run unopposed, evil does what evil does. So, so right? Let's look at the crime. If we, we're going to back off the way we treat people. It's terrible the way we treat people. We're not fair to people. So now we back the cops off. And what did the, what did the criminals do? Did they go, you know what? People are backed off now. There's no bail. I, I don't have to feel like the cops are going to kill me every two minutes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the right thing in life. Uh, no, they're emboldened to commit more crime. That's what evil does, right? So there's, there's a bunch of truths about life that if we, if we don't ignore them, we can actually learn something from them. And that's a reality. So this, this Ukraine, they're striking back at the Russian army. A couple of things I think are amazing. When you think, like I said, when you think of the Russian army, you would think that as a superpower, they could have rolled over Ukraine like uh, the United States military would roll over Indiana. And no offense to Indiana. I happen to really like Indiana. It's the setting for a lot of my, uh, my fiction books uh, with my FBI hero. Um, but the reality is it would be very simple for the United States military to overcome any one of our states, wouldn't it? To just roll right over any state that we wanted to. Well, here is basically a state, uh, a country, but it's a state, a small place. And the Russian military, you think this Putin would just send the troops and some airplanes and, put, and it would be over, It'd be over in a day. Well, it's not over in a day. And the Ukrainians are fighting back bravely brilliantly, with a lot of help from America, of course. And that's where the controversy starts to come in. We hear our politicians saying things like, we will stick it out with you for as long as it takes. Well, we've already given hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, maybe, uh, to Ukraine. And we were late to, to give them anti-aircraft missiles that they really needed, the Patriot uh, system, which can be very helpful to them. We only gave them one, but I think I heard the other day, it's like a billion dollars a system, and then the, the rockets that it fires are several million apiece. It's a very expensive piece of equipment. And it kind of puts us in a position to say, what, what, what are we doing here? What are we, what's our purpose here? Well, it's very painful to see any group of people overwhelmed by a, uh, an adverse power, especially one that is evil as the Russians, and I don't mean the Russian people, but the Russian government, the Putin people, as evil as they are, as tyrannical as they are, as tyrannical as any regime that has come before them, if given the opportunity, uh, they would rise to even greater levels of tyranny. Uh, but w what's our purpose? Do we just have an open checkbook? We're just pretending, you know, we're not fighting. We're just giving you money so you can buy weapons and you can fight back and the Russians are fighting. What's our purpose here? Well, if we get involved directly, then of course the, the potential for nuclear exchange goes higher than it is right now. And the potential for a nuclear exchange is high right now. Uh, if Putin feels like he really is losing and he may lose and lose face, you know, tyr tyr tyrannical people can't lose face. That's the worst thing for them. He may drop a tactical nuclear weapon. Now, what are we going to do? What's the United States and NATO going to do? Is NATO going to what? Throw their own tac tactical nuclear weapon over at the Russians? Are we going to do that? No. So that will basically go unanswered. Now, to a tyrant, what would that tell a tyrant? Huh. They're not going to engage. They are afraid of the... Because I don't care. I'll kill everybody in my country. But I'll be safe. 
Uh, but the rest of them, they're afraid because I could drop one on them. And they, they don't look at the world the same way we do. See, see this, is, this is where the, we start to see the rubber meets the road. When we see these killer societies, these societies that do not value life the way we do. Uh, when you see that you know, civilians are to be protected, uh, if we're going to fight another country, we fight the military and we fight the government, don't we? Don't we? We try everything we can to avoid collateral damage. In this war, Putin is specifically going after collateral damage because he's trying to break the will of the people. Now, in all honesty, uh, in World War II, in Dresden, when we firebombed the population, that was for the same purpose. Because if the people in the country demand the fight go on, then the war will go on. They'll finance it. They'll struggle for it. They'll fight in it. Uh, same thing with dropping the, the, uh, the atomic bombs. As horrific as it was to use that weapon, if we had not done it, Japan itself, its culture and everything would have been vanquished off the face of the earth in the war that was coming to them, to their homeland. And we would have lost another a million American soldiers. So as difficult as a decision was, those bombs were dropped on cities where we knew there'd be collateral damage. And the purpose was to instill in the Japanese people that they were not the people of God and their emperor was not a deity that could not lose, that if they continued this, they were going to suffer and that you, you wanted them to turn against the government and make the government stop. And, you know, the emperor at the time saw two of these never-before-seen city-destroying bombs. And what did they do? They came to the table and they unconditionally surrendered, something that's never happened in their history. Well, Putin is learning a lesson from what he's seeing from our responses. We're giving money. We're staying away. You know, NATO. Is NATO really going to roll up in there and do anything to help them? How come we don't have the blue hats from the United Nations? Where is the United Nations sending uh, 100,000 troops into these cities and marching around? Where, where, where's that going on? How come we're not seeing that here? We see it all over the world, but not here. And my point being is that we're dealing with something that we're not prepared to respond to because it's so different than our understanding of what life is. If we got involved, American people are going to suffer physically, not just uh, financially. And that's why we're not, we're not willing to get in there. Are we willing as a nation to fight any kind of a war anymore? You know, we had generations gone by that at 16, we talked about the 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds signed up to go fight the Nazis and get rid of them. Would our young people today volunteer to go fight for America? They hate America. They've been taught to hate America. America is racist. America is horrible. Why would I go die for this country? Right? That's a weakness. And if you don't think the rest of the world doesn't watch and see what's going on here and see the bit by bit uh, tearing down of what America is, then you'd have to be, you'd have to have your eyes closed. You have to have your eyes closed to, to not understand or refuse to see the real world. And so that's, this is one of the things, what do we do with Ukraine? Well, there's really two choices. We either have to get the world to step up and do more. We need the United Nations to get in there with soldiers. We need everyone to pitch in, especially Europe. This is where the war is going to come to them. They're the first ones going to be fighting World War III over there. They need to get involved here and push back on Russia and Putin. 
Uh, they need to they need to cough up big time because you know what? It, before it's going to be not, then it's on Poland, then it's on the rest of the world. What are they going to do? So they need to take take a leadership role here, which we don't see them really doing, do we? So we're going to keep bankrolling this. How long? Ten years? Will we go for a trillion dollars uh, with hands off? So that uh, you know the Ukrainians can fight back with the Russians until they get tired of fighting. Or how come? How come the Ukrainians have not launched a bunch of missiles over the border into Russian towns and hit troop encampments in Russia? Because they're afraid that this will bring down on them a tactical nuclear weapon. So basically, the bully on the block who is willing to kill you and me and everybody in Ukraine and kill every innocent in Europe has basically said. I will tolerate you slowing me down only so far, and then you're going to pay the price. And everyone's going, well, you know, uh, okay, we'll do it as best as we can at arm's length, and let's hope for the best. And, the and this is how uh, good and decent people are overcome. What's the saying? All it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Right now I paraphrase that, but you know what I mean. And that's basically what we're all kind of doing. Uh, we're proxy war in this thing, trying to do what we can. We're hoping nothing bad happens to us. Uh, but this is a, a weakness. I'm not. I know I'm not advocating for war. I have war-aged children. I do not want them going off to war. I don't want your kids going off to war. I don't want any of that. I don't want bombs going off in anybody's uh, facility. I want everyone to get along, and st and, and and stick with peace and, and try and figure it out. But this whole Ukraine thing is is like a tinderbox. Now, a couple of the bright sides here is that Putin has said he wants to negotiate. But I have a feeling um, his negotiation is going to be something that goes something like this. I'm willing to negotiate a, or I'm willing to negotiate an end to the conflict uh, by Ukraine giving in and becoming part of Russia. And then I will stop the bombing. Now, that's a bad accent. I don't really know a Russian accent, but in my head it sounded good. So I think that's going to be his negotiating point. Yeah, as long as you give up and and surrender to me, then then I'll stop the war. But other than that, I don't think you will. Now, there's a report recently that the Ukrainians did fire into, uh, I, I think I'm going to say it wrong, the Donetsk, Donetsk region where the Russians have uh, encampments. And apparently between the 60s to several hundred Russian troops were killed. And the Russians admitted this. Yes, it was a bombing attack by the Ukrainians, and, and they said 63. And the Ukrainians and a couple other people said, no, we think it was in the hundreds. But that just goes to show you, here's this super duper power, and they can't seem to they can't seem to bring this thing to an end. And that could be very, very dangerous when you have a desperate person. Now, the other bright side that I said is that there's rumors, there's talk, there's, there's quiet things that maybe Putin has a uh, incurable disease well, I don't know that you can count on a thing like that. I mean, every time we have a horrifying, uh, evil person in the world, you kind of say, wonder, how come How come they don't get a disease like everybody else? Like my brother-in-law, Harry, got an unbelievably horrible disease and he died. How come this guy don't get a disease and die, right? Um, I don't know. We, we can't count on things like that. We have to figure out what we're going to do here. And, and as, we, as we move on, I think it has to be a real discussion. Because our choice is either back them up financially for, for the tune of as much money as they ever need to number two, rallying Europe and everyone to stop Putin, which means fighting, or number three, let them take it. Let them have it. 
and they gave up a, a good fight and unfortunately they were overcome which happens in every society throughout all of humankind I'm not suggesting that I'm simply saying sometimes bad guys win and sometimes good guys win what do we do? What is, what is it in our interest? Other than, obviously, we're good and decent people and we don't want to see innocent people hurt. So do we just kind of take the middle road and just keep funneling cash to them uh, for as long as they can stay afloat? And I think that's probably what's going to happen here. Because we're decent people in America and we don't want to just say, oh, well, uh, goodbye. You're now stuck behind the Iron Curtain of Russia again and uh, whatever reprisals that are going to come for fighting back and he's going to execute everybody, you know, like like they do when they take power. Um, so you have, uh, you know, a big tyrant and little tyrant. Big tyrant kills you for disagreeing with them. Big tyrant, uh, tyrant executes you and everybody who thinks like you to, to keep you down. And then little tyrant uh, makes you wear masks. Little tyrant shuts down your business. Little tyrant does things like that to you. So we have to understand who we are and where we're going here. So I want you to, to give a little thought to that and think about what do you think? How do you think this is going to come out? How do you think uh, we're going to go moving forward? Because no matter what happens, uh, we keep going round and round the sun and we have to come up with something. So I'm going to give a little more thought to that going forward. Now, something I really did want to talk about that I think is uplifting and awesome uh, is a sports guy who is really... A tremendous example of good leadership. See, we talked about leadership a lot today. And we talked about what what does it mean to be, what's the messaging to be a leader? And of course, I'm talking about none other than Tom Brady. Now, I got to tell you, as a Giants fan, Giants football fan, my nemesis on the planet for many years was Tom Brady when he was with uh, New England. Now, we had a couple of Super Bowls with them. Right? We had a couple of Super Bowls with New England. And, uh, you know, hey, we beat them twice, all right? We beat the great, inevitable Tom Brady twice. And so that was, that was a good thing. That felt good because everybody, I think, if you're honest, you have to look and say, they call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He really is the greatest of all time when it comes to uh, football and sports. The guy's 45 years old, and he just brought his team back from the brink of uh, extinction in his career. He retired, and he came back. And he's in the playoffs again. Now, I don't know if you follow sports, you don't care about sports. I happen to like sports. I like football. Uh, and, and this Tom Brady now is just, it's amazing. We're not going to see anybody like him in our lifetimes again. Maybe maybe not for, for many years. How many times, how long did, uh, you know, Babe Ruth's record last until Hank Aaron came along and, uh, and knocked him out? Many, many decades could go by before we see anybody with the greatness of Brady. And the bottom line with this guy He's still setting records. Now, of course, he's been around longer than anybody, so if he keeps going, he's going to punch up his numbers. But he's setting records that are never uh, going to be uh, changed or, or not changed for a very, very long time. And when I see him and I see him talking, uh, there was a special out with him, and he says, and, and I really like this when it comes to leadership, he said the team started to do really poorly. They were failing. He didn't look around and blame everybody else on the team. He looked in the mirror and he pointed the finger at himself. And he said, I have to do better, right? I have to do better. And he told his team that. I have to do better and I'm going to do better. We all have to do better together. So when we think about my three effects I talked about, isn't that the Galatia effect? Isn't Tom Brady pointing at himself saying, 
I'm demanding higher standards of myself. I want to be better. I'm going to be better. And now the guy's making uh, an even bigger comeback. They're in the playoffs again, right, with a, with a terrible record. But just because a lot of other people have terrible records too. So, they're, they're you know, the Bucks are in it. But it's amazing to watch a, a truly inspirational guy when it comes to being on the sports field, dedicating himself to whatever your craft is. He's dedicated to his craft. He works out. He's dedicated to doing the right things, eating the right way, being the best he can possibly be. And that is a great thing to see. And, I, and I'm very happy to see Tom Brady out there uh, doing this. And I want to talk about that. I want to make sure I brought that up because we, we, we can't just look at downsides. We can't look at negative, right? There's a lot of negative. And remember, what's the messaging we're telling ourselves? If we tell ourselves negative things, we're going to see things negatively and we're going to respond negatively. So I'm trying to be positive because I'm a normally positive kind of guy. When I look in, uh, and see some of the things that have, have gone on, uh, I thought it was very positive that the apparent killer of the Idaho college students uh, was identified and arrested. And I think the police department and the FBI seem to have done a very, very good job. Now, it took longer than people wanted. Uh, everybody wanted it the next day. Well, when you don't have a person there, you don't have a suspect, you have to rely on uh, old-fashioned detective work, police work, uh, you know, gumshoe kind of thing, and technology. And that's what we have here. We had the use of technology and smart cops that apparently found this individual. Now, when you think about it, you know, I, I was talking to uh, to Miss Kathy, and she says to me, okay, uh, detective, what do you think here? And I said, well, you know, people say that all the time. You know, when you have a history of being an investigator, they say, well, what, what do you say? Well, if it's on TV, I, I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not in the crime scene. I'm not touching the evidence. I'm not talking to the witnesses. I can only guess. And that's what we see with a lot of people on TV, right? All these experts come on. Uh, Detective Jones, Detective uh, Morallo, Detective this one, Detective... They're all coming on, and they're basically speculating. They're speculating from a point of view of experience in investigating, just just like I am. I'm, I'm speculating from a point of view of experience. But one of the things that I talk about uh, when it comes to investigation, I always talk about the Rolodex of things you have in your head. And the Rolodex is created by experience. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you are somebody who likes to crochet... And you start out crocheting and you, you have a hard time doing the stitches and, and, and allotting the right amount of yarn and doing this and that and the other thing. It, it, it's tough at first, right? Or playing guitar. I love playing guitar. When you first start, it's hard. It's bumbly, bumbly, moving your fingers around. And you don't really know what you're doing. But as you work at it, you start to realize, hey, I'm practicing. I'm doing something. And now I know the right needles to use. I know the right picks to use when I'm playing the guitar. I, I know how to move my arm. I know how to move my hand. I know how to use the right amount of yarn, all that kind of stuff. And you put that information in your Rolodex. It's your experience that you've developed, right? Experience develops. And now as you go forward, you get better and better and better. So when we look at this from experience, one of the things I said at the very beginning was when I heard about the, the, the method of the murders. Very, very brutal and done with a knife. This is specific kind of a killing. This this speaks to me that the actions of the killer speak very loudly to us. Uh, they tell us almost as much as the crime scene can. And I've, I've talked about that before. I've written about it, and it's really true. We, we can look at the the wounds, how they were inflicted, the kind of weapons used, what the, what the killers did. 
to kind of inform us of who the killer is and what they're about. And my, my speculation was uh, that this, this killer might be a, a part of the incel community. Now, the incels, we've talked about them before. I'm writing an article about it uh, currently. That is the uh, involuntarily celibate crowd. They're a unique group of individuals. We've seen them commit uh, mass shootings. Uh, and I looked at this and I said, here's, here's somebody that attacked three attractive young girls and an attractive young guy who happened to be probably him in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm going to speculate. He happened to be there. But I think he targeted these girls because they were attractive young girls, and he seems to have been rebuffed. Now, people they're talking to about this guy from high school, they said he was picked on when he was in high school, that he would go up to random girls and say things like, hey, do you want to hang out? And they called him creep, and they didn't like him, and girls threw things at him in the hallway. That does not mean he's a member of the incel community. I just have this this thought in my head that some of that might come out, that response to how he's been treated, the messaging he got from people... Uh, and the messaging he's given himself, the incel community says it's not fair that attractive women only go with certain amount of guys. They don't go with everybody. Not everybody has a chance at a beautiful girl. And that's very frustrating. See, that's messaging. So I think we're going to see more about that in the future. Uh, and I, I pray for those victims and their families. And I hope that uh, this somehow gives them some kind of justice because that's what we're about here. So listen, we talked about a lot of stuff today. We've been around the horn today together. And most of it, what I talked about today is messaging, understanding messaging and how we get messaging and give messaging and give it to ourselves. What do we give to other people? Let's, let's think about my, my closing tagline. I always say, be a part of the solution, not the problem. Be a part of your own solution. Tell yourself good things about yourself. Go achieve. Do what you've always wanted to do. Tell other people good things. Encourage people. And Let's make sure that we try and be the best we can possibly be and bring our country back. Everyone in this country deserves to have a great opportunity for happiness. So this is Lieutenant Joe saying, hey, see you next time.